If you have your Bibles, please open to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This summer, I've been going through texts um, uh, text that have uh, particularly challenged me um, over my course of spiritual development. And so this will be the last kind of uh, sermons in that series before next week we begin our fall study of the book of Philippians. So buckle up, buttercup. Um, over the next few months of the fall, we're going to be looking at Philippians. But this morning, I'm going to talk about Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, about receiving the Lord's discipline. This is something I'm going to talk about today that is something that is critically important to our spiritual development um, as Christians, whether we're, whether we're young or whether we're middle-aged, whether we're older, it is incumbent upon us to receive the Lord's discipline rightly. Now, here's why. All of us as Christians are going to face the battle of drifting in our faith and becoming dull in our hearing. That's going to happen. Some of you think I'm only dull in my hearing because I'm old. That's not true. Spiritually, we can become dull in our hearing. And also, we will battle discouragement. We will all face being discouraged in our spiritual walk. We might even be disillusioned spiritually or even discontented spiritually. We will face those things, and sometimes we'll go through seasons of despair, even seasons of maybe spiritual depression or despondency. That's a lot of D words. I worked hard to get them all in my introduction. So you should be, you should be thankful for that. But the author, the author of Hebrews knows that. This whole book is written as a sermon to address a group of Jewish Christians who are scattered about all over because of persecution. Because of their faith in Jesus, they're facing a battle of whether or not it's really even worth it to follow Jesus. They're being tempted to abandon Christ and go back to their Jewish faith and heritage. Now, many of them have faced persecution to the fact that their property has been confiscated. They've also been driven out of their homes. They've lost their businesses and their livelihoods because of their commitment to walking with Jesus. And so the question for them is, is Jesus really worth all of this struggle? Is Jesus worth following if it's really this difficult? So, what the author of Hebrews does, and this is all context, you need to know this before we get to chapter 12, what the author of Hebrews does is that he argues that you can't go back. You can't go back. You can't do that because Jesus is better than everything you've ever had or everything that you've given up or everything that your old heritage brought to the table. Jesus, and, and so the whole book of, of Hebrews is an argument about Jesus being better. He's, it begins with arguing Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the Old Testament system. He's better than Moses. He offers a better Sabbath rest. He's a better high priest. He offers a better sacrifice. Once for all, he brings a better covenant, one that cannot be broken, and he brings a better kingdom, one that is lasting and will outlast far this, the, any kingdom or city that this world offers. So Hebrew, Hebrews is filled with warnings not to go back. The, the, the author of Hebrews keeps warning them, don't go back, don't go back. Instead of being discouraged and discontented, instead... Understand that God is at work, even in these difficulties, to discipline you to become more like Jesus. So, that's what's going on, right? And now in Hebrews 12, he's challenging them to press towards maturity and to receive God's discipline. 
Don't go backwards. Don't be like children. Move forward. He's arguing that the difficulties you are facing, that's not a sign that God doesn't love you. Just because you're going through struggles, that doesn't mean God doesn't love you. No, it means that God is working through these things to make you more like Jesus. Now, when we talk about God's discipline, this is God's refining discipline. For the Christian, hear me, we cannot believe that God is only at work in the good times. If you are a person who believes that God is only good and God only works in your life when things are rosy and happy, you have a sub-biblical view of God's sovereign purposes in your life. The whole book of Hebrews says, despite your difficulties, you can know that God is working for your good. God is at work at all times in our lives. Amen? In the good and in the bad. He's working in the ups and the downs, in the valleys and the mountains, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse. God loves us and is committed to us, and He is going to shape us and mold us for His glory. Now, let me say here at the beginning, this is all introduction, right? Y'all are like, how long is this sermon going to be? Long enough. So, this is all introduction. So, let me say right here from the beginning, no one likes to be disciplined. No one. No one enjoys it. No one likes to be challenged. No one likes to be chastised. And no one likes um, to be corrected. Everyone wants the finished product of discipline, but no one really wants to go through the struggle to get there. So, in our society, what do we love? We love shortcuts. I spent, uh, I spent basically the first three weeks mad at Taco Bell when it opened here because the line was long. I'm like, I want the line to be short. I need, I need instant gratification, okay? But that's not how God's discipline works in our lives. As we look here in Hebrews 12, we're going to see that. So here, let me read for you. Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, um, even though we're only going to focus on verses 3 through 11. So pay attention. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now here's the text. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, you ha- ha- and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's the key part of the text. And be, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. So, this morning, when we're facing the battles of drifting spiritually, or becoming despondent, or becoming dull in our hearing, or becoming discouraged in our walk with Jesus, here are the instructions. Three things. Number one, consider Jesus our Lord and example. That's the first thing he says in verses 3 and 4. Look there. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. So the first step here in our in our receiving of the discipline of the Lord, in our battle against spiritual despair or despondency, the first step is for us to look to Jesus. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as verses 2 said in the section I read previously. We look to Christ who faced incredible hostility from all sides, yet he endured to the end. And we could go back through all of the ways that Jesus faced incredible, um, incredible temptation, incredible hardship and adversity, but he did it, he endured to the end for the sake of his Father and the good of his people. Jesus endured, again, heartache, hardship, and betrayal all the way to the cross as our example. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. We do this, he says, look at the context. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me ask you, are you weary and faint-hearted? Then I have to ask you, have you looked to Jesus? Because right here, what he is arguing is that the way we sustain ourselves from growing weary is to consider Jesus and to set our eyes on Him. We must turn our minds and our hearts to Jesus for His strength, His power, and His joy. Now, why, why, do we, why can we do this? Because Jesus, according to Hebrews, is our faithful high priest. Listen to what He says back in chapter 4. He says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he says because of that, because Jesus is a faithful high priest, and we're struggling and hurting, he says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive the mercy and find the grace we need in this time of need. So the point is, if you're going through this, you have to consider Jesus. Look to Him, our faithful high priest, who has promised that if you draw near to Him... He will give you the grace and mercy you need in that moment. So if you're struggling, that's the first step. You have to turn your eyes to Jesus. Consider what He has done. Consider His strength, His endurance, His joy. He reminds the struggling Hebrews that though they are facing struggles, they haven't resisted to the point of shedding their blood. Jesus did resist to that point. We are to hold fast and not let go because of what Jesus has done. I just want to say that's the disciples' path. We follow Jesus. We take up our cross and follow Him daily. So consider Jesus our Lord and our example. 
That's the first part of receiving the Lord's, the Lord's discipline. Secondly, remember God's word and promise. The second thing is we have to remember God's word and promise. Look at there at verses 5 and 6. He says this, Have you forgotten? He asks a question. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord's discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Now this is a quote if you want to write out beside there, this is a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. So the author of Hebrews takes this word that Solomon had wrote and says that God is the one addressing you in this verse. And he asks a question. The question is, have you forgotten what God has said? Not only are you distracted and dull of hearing, we also have the issue of forgetting God's promises. So here's the point. Not all who hear God's word actually listen to it, nor do all remember it. And I would say that as I'm getting older, that's becoming even more complicated and even more so why I need to fill my mind with God's word on a daily basis because my mind is more leaky these days, much more leaky. Now, here's the point. Not all remember God's word especially those of us, again, who are becoming more forgetful, but nor do all practice God's Word. But here there are three, he gives three possible, three possible responses to God's Word here. There are three ways you can respond to God's Word. Number one, he says that first there are those that are indifferent to it. Look what he says. He says, do not regard lightly the instruction of the Lord. Regard it lightly. That means they're indifferent to God's Word. They're in danger of either ignoring God's Word, as a stubborn teenage kid ignores the words and warnings of their parents. Sorry, students up there, but that's who you are. Stubborn. That's, that's somebody who's being indifferent to the Word of God. Or they simply dismiss God's Word as though it's unimportant or uninteresting. It's like closing an annoying ad on a smartphone app. They regard it as light trivial, optional, and bothersome. He says, you can't regard God's Word this way. We don't, regard, we don't regard God's Word lightly, as though it's not the very Word of God, which is weighty and eternal. So that's the first response. You can be indifferent to it. The second response is he says that some are weary of it. He says there, he says, nor be weary when corrected or reproved by Him. So some are weary of God's Word, they're overwhelmed by it to the point of panic or paralysis. They convince themselves that due to their difficulties, that God must have abandoned them or left them because in their minds, God cannot have any purpose behind their struggle. God must have abandoned me or He doesn't care. And then the enemy convinces them um, that God doesn't love them and discipline them at the same time. So when God disciplines them, they become weary. Now this could happen for a multitude of reasons in our lives. It could be due to bad experiences with unloving parents who didn't discipline us properly. So we have a bad taste in our mouth for God's discipline. Or it could be on the other end of the spectrum, having parents who never discipline someone at all. So they have no way of knowing how to interact with positive, restorative discipline. So, for the Christian, we cannot, um, 
so either way, the author is saying that God's discipline should not weary us or grieve us. As a Christian, we cannot regard it lightly on one hand, and we cannot be weary of it on the other. So there's a third way. What's the third way? The third way is for the believer to consider Jesus, remember God's promise, and then third, receive his discipline. That's my third point. The Lord disciplines those he loves. So when we're faced with discouragement or difficulty spiritually, we are to receive God's purposeful discipline. We are to receive it. That's what verses 7 through 11 are about. God has reasons for the things that he does. Amen? God has reasons for the things he allows us to endure, even though we might not understand. But here... This is the good news of this section of Scripture. Here, we, get, we are fortunate enough for God to pull back the curtain and show us what some of His reasons are for His discipline. He gives four reasons. You want to keep these, I promise. Because this is, this is the positive effects of God's discipline in our lives. These four truths. Number one, first, the Father's discipline is proof of being His child. Look at verses 7 and 8. You need, to, you need to tuck this away and remember this. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. That means God's sending you through this so that you will learn discipline. He says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You can underline that. Here's what this means. God says this to his sons and daughters. He's saying to you, if I am disciplining you, you belong to me. I discipline every, I discipline out of my love, God, out of God's love, he disciplines his children and it proves that they are actually his children. So the point is, if you aren't disciplined by God, you don't belong to him. For those of us that are parents, you should get this. For those that are grandparents, you should get this. Your responsibility to discipline your children, your own children, is far greater than your responsibility towards the kids that belong to other people. Amen? Now, some of you are like, hold on now, preacher. Well, if you don't know that, you need to know that. Those are my children. It's my responsibility to discipline them because they belong to me. Now, I might discipline your children lightly, but I, I don't love your children the way I love my children. I have a covenant relationship with my children. God gave them to me to raise. And so my responsibility is, they don't like it when I do these kinds of things, but this is what's true. Um, I, you should understand this, that God disciplines his children. So if you are outside of God's discipline, that proves you don't belong to him. Now, that was confusing for me as a kid because when I got in trouble, I got in trouble about 26 people. And I got disciplined by 26 people. I thought I had, I thought my bus driver was my parent. You know, I thought my Sunday school teacher was my parent. Um, but they loved me and treated me as children because that's who they were. Now, so this is the point. This means, here, here let me apply this to us. If you can get away with sin, if you can walk your own path of pride and independence apart from Jesus, then it will be hard for you to say that you are being disciplined by the Lord. The most miserable person in this world is a backslidden, sin-besotted Christian 
And if that's you, you need to repent. You need to receive God's discipline. There is nothing more miserable than belonging to Jesus and then walking as though you don't belong to Jesus. And the Lord will not allow that to happen. He will discipline you. He will bring you under his chastisement. He will take you out to the woodshed. God has a way of bringing his children back into line. So the Father's discipline is proof of being his child. Secondly, the Father's discipline is for our good. The Father's discipline is for our good. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says there, um, he says there, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. This means God corrects his children. He doesn't allow his children to continue without discipline. Listen, I can't be sure, if my mom and dad are listening, they have to forgive me, I can't be sure that my parents did, I can't be sure that all that my parents did regarding discipline for me was for, ultimately for my good. I can't be sure of that. Now, they would say so. They would say so. Many times, I was convinced that their discipline was simply to make themselves feel better. Now, I know that's true in my own home because sometimes I lecture my children for an hour whether or not they are listening and whether or not they care. And I remind them, this is not for you, this is for me. This is not for you to feel better, this is for me to feel better about being a parent. But God doesn't discipline us that way. God always disciplines us for our good. And hear me as a believer, and God never disciplines us out of at wrath or anger. That's not why God disciplines us, because He's angry or filled with wrath towards His children. It only flows from his love towards us. His anger and wrath were satisfied in Jesus. Now, we may grieve God uh, by our sin, but his wrath has been fully poured out on Jesus. So when God disciplines us, it's not because he's spiteful or angry or upset or trying to make himself feel better. God only disciplines his children because he loves us and it's for our good. Listen, our father doesn't have ulterior motives in disciplining us like I do sometimes with my own children. This makes me feel better. No, it's out of his great love for us. He always knows what's best and he disciplines us for his good. So, no matter what you are going through or what you are facing, if you are a child of God under God's discipline, then hear this very similar promise in Romans chapter 8. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. We know that He disciplines us for our good. God's discipline is our good. So that's why we have to receive it. You don't shun God's discipline and try to get out from under it and go, I'm just going to ignore it. You go, Lord, I'm here. Speak. I'm listening. Chastise me. Change me. Challenge me. Make me more like Jesus. And thirdly, God, the Father's discipline is for our growth and holiness. That's God's purpose. So the first thing is, is God disciplines you to prove you're His, to prove to you you belong, he, to prove to you that you belong to Him. Secondly, He disciplines you for your good. It's good for you. We know that as parents, we discipline our children because we want what's best. And third, He disciplines us for our growth and holiness. Look at verse ten. At the end, He says, "But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share." In his holiness. Now hear me. 
God will do, you can write this down and take it to the bank, this is, this is eternal truth, gospel truth. God will do whatever it takes to conform you into the image of His Son. He will do whatever it takes. And if that means at some point you keep running away and running away and running away and He wants to bring you home, He will do it. God will do whatever it takes to conform you to the image of His Son in whom He is well pleased. Like a master sculptor, God will chisel, file, break, and remove anything that does not look like His Son Jesus in your life. Now, that will be painful. It will hurt. Just think of the Holy Spirit taking the chisel, the chisel and hammer of God's Word and breaking out pride, breaking out greed, breaking out lust, breaking out all of these things that keep us from walking with Jesus and growing in maturity. It will be painful, but He will do it. And that process will continue until you take your last breath. But the Bible says, he who began the good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now here's the point. This is a very strong statement, but I think this is good, solid, biblical theology. God is as committed to your holiness as he is committed to his own. What does he say there? He says that he will discipline you so that you will share in it. God's whole purpose in, etern God's whole purpose in eternity was to gather for himself a people who were zealous for His worship and His name, who were conformed to the image of His Son. And it will be. It will be. God will do it. And so, we will share in God's holiness because of Jesus' power and provision given to us by grace through faith. And finally, the Father's discipline is for our increased fruitfulness. He disciplines us for our holiness, that we will be more like Jesus. But then He also disciplines us so that we will be more fruitful in ministry and in His kingdom. Look at verse 11. He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want you to pick up on every word in that sentence. So discipline is painful rather than pleasant, but later... Later, it yields something. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. The word trained, there's the word dis disciplined again. So it produces something. The discipline of God produces something for those that have been disciplined. Now, the discipline here, let me just go through it really quickly. This discipline isn't pleasant. Amen? And you ever sat under God's discipline? It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. It's not enjoyable now. But it holds the promise of a better future and reward. His promise is that it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Now, I want to explain what I think this means. Now, this isn't some commentator. This isn't some other scholar. This is little old Jacob in West Tennessee. This is what I think Jesus means here. The author of Hebrews means in verse 11. I take this to mean that we grow in holiness and mature towards Christ's likeness. I take this to mean that as we grow in holiness and mature towards Christ's likeness, that God's ongoing discipline creates a peace and a certainty that we belong to Him. And that God is training us to walk with Him. He is directing our paths from destructive sins that entangle us and get us off track and habits that are, that are not healthy towards our spiritual development, and He directs us on towards the paths of peace and righteousness. 
And I want to say here that the path of righteousness and the path of holiness all are the path towards peace. This takes training. And this peace is for those who are being trained by God's good discipline. Like I said, if you are trying to get out from under God's discipline, there can be no peace in your life. You're walking outside of God's purposes. Now, I want to say this. Parents do the same thing for their children. Do we not? If we discipline our children for school, make them go to bed on time, make them get up on time, eat good food, if we discipline them for school, for education, and for sports, how much more committed should we be to their spiritual development and maturity? Which one actually yields eternal fruit? If we rightly tell them, if you eat junk, you won't be healthy and you won't grow as strong, or if you don't have the discipline to work at piano each day, you won't be free to play it later. Right? I get an amen from my piano teacher in the room. If you don't work at it, if you don't work at it now, you won't be free later to do it and to use it. If we do that, right? If we do that, then we, how much more so should we be spending time praying with our children, instructing them towards Christ so that they will grow towards spiritual maturity? We do it for increased fruitfulness in their lives later. Now, the last two things I want to say is God uses two kinds of discipline in our lives, primarily. The first we call formative discipline. This is when God builds in us and forms in us habits and corrects us and instructs us and helps us grow. It's like a parent coming alongside a kid and saying, hey, let me show you how to hit a baseball. Let me show you how to dribble a basketball. Let me show you how to write properly. Let me show you how to stand up tall. Let me show you how to look people in the eye. How do we form good character qualities in our children? God uses that. God uses formative discipline. It happens in our lives when we come to church and we sit under God's Word and God's Word forms, forms our hearts and our minds. That's important. It takes ongoing, regular, the regular use of God's means. It forms in us habits and patterns that we need. It happens when we get in small groups and iron sharpening iron so one man sharpens another. God uses formative discipline. It's good and healthy and right. We use it with our children. But then God uses corrective discipline. And, sometimes, and that is the most personal, the most pointed, and sometimes the most serious forms of discipline. That's when Jesus looks us in the eye and says, you can't do that. That's when Jesus looks us right in the eye. And then the Bible's filled with this, by the way. The Bible's filled with examples of this, like when God disciplined Moses and says, because you struck the rock, you can't go into the promised land. It says, no, you're not doing that. Or when Nathan comes to David and puts his finger and says, you are the man. You are the one who murdered Uriah and slept with Bathsheba. You have done this. The Old Testament prophets are filled with this when God calls to his people and says, this is your idolatry, this is your sin, this is where you went off the rails. The, Old, the New Testament is filled with warnings from Paul and Peter of you have to do this. It's never pleasant, but let me tell you, it is always helpful. Can I just say in, in your life, your best friend is not the person who pats you on the back and says that everything's okay even when things are, you're not walking with Jesus. Your best friend is the person who comes alongside you and says, look, I love you enough to tell you that this dishonors the Lord, and if you're going to walk with Jesus, you can't walk down this road. That's the person that loves you. And that's never pleasant and never fun, but that's God's corrective discipline. We have to have that one to another. 
not judgmentalism, not coming down on people, but enough to have private conversation. I'm not talking about standing up and calling people names in front of everybody. That's cowardly. I'm saying going to somebody you love privately and saying, look, I love you enough in Jesus to say, you need, I see this in you, and I think God would be more pleased, I think God would be more pleased if you walked with Jesus. We need that one to another. Amen? I know I need that in my life. My best friends in my life have been those who have come alongside me and said, Jacob, this is a, this is a blind spot. You need to watch out for this because I know you really want to honor Jesus and you would honor him better if this wasn't some of the habits that you had. Amen? So we need to receive the Lord's discipline, remembering that it's, it proves we're his child. So I want to end there. Um, I want to end there. I just want to say this. If you don't know Jesus then the first step is you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to come to him in repentance and faith. You need to realize that your sin separates you from God and that you are on a path to going towards God's judgment. Not God's discipline, God's judgment. Those are two different things. God's discipline is for his children. If you don't know Jesus, you need to come to Jesus. Secondly, if you're a Christian, you need to receive God's discipline. Don't run from it, spurn it, run away from it, but receive it. Say, say a prayer of faith during our invitation time. Lord Jesus, I want to I confess my sin to you of running from you, of being, of being miserable in my own sin, doing my things my own way, and I want to receive your discipline in repentance and faith. And lastly, if you're looking for a church home where you will be disciplined, where you will hear God's word, where you will be sharpened, we invite you to be a part of our church this morning. So I want you to stand with me. I'm going to pray. They'll get us offline, and then we'll have our time of invitation. Father... I pray that you would speak clearly now to your people. Father, we are grateful for Jesus and our loving Father who disciplines us out of his love for our good, that we might share in his holiness, that we might have the peaceful fruit of righteousness as we're trained by God's discipline. So Father, speak now, have your way, discipline your children as we're listening. Father, we receive it. Lord, change our hearts right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.